0: Like, like Thomas said, my name is Andrew, um, and I'm currently serving on staff here at Pillar DC as a church planting resident. And this morning, I get the privilege and the honor of continuing to walk us through our sermon series in the book of Exodus. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and flip with me to Exodus chapter 11. Exodus chapter 11. Now this morning, we are going to be examining a well-known story in the Old Testament, as well as just a well-known story throughout the entirety of Scripture, namely the Passover. And as we walk through the Passover narrative, I want to point out three truths, three truths that are revealed to us from the story of the Passover. The first is that the Passover proclaims God's justice. The second is that the Passover proves God's love. Specifically, God's love for His people. And lastly, we will close by looking at how the Passover ultimately points us to the cross. And these three points will be couched, or essentially will fall under the umbrella of this one statement. So if you're someone who likes to take notes, or you just like to have an idea of where we're going, then the main point of the sermon this morning is this. The one true God displays His authority by carrying out justice on the guilty, and providing atonement for his people. I'll say it again. The one true God displays his authority by carrying out justice on the guilty and providing atonement for his people. So we're going to be reading from Exodus chapter 11, starting in verse 4. And like last week with Pastor Thomas, we unfortunately don't have the time to read through all of chapter 11 and all of chapter 12. So we are going to be skipping through the text a little bit. So I'm going to try my best and do everything I can to let you know where we are in the text and when we skip forward in the text. So Exodus chapter 11, starting in verse 4. The word of the Lord says this. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill. And all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that I will go out. And he went out and, Pharaoh, and Moses went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Now let's skip down to chapter 12, verse 3. Chapter 12, verse 3 says, God is instructing Moses to tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses and a lamb for a household. Skip down to verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, it shall be a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, verse 6, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Verse 7, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt... "...both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt." Verse 14, "...this day shall be a memorial for you, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast." Now let's skip down to verse twenty-one. In verse twenty one, Moses says, or the word of the Lord says, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves, according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of this house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. Skip down to verse 28. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who is in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. Let's pray. Oh, holy God, you are just, you are loving, and God, the Passover is a beautiful display of your authority by the execution of your judgment and the atonement of your people by the great love that you have for them. Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that you would Open the eyes of our hearts to the truth that is found in this text. God, that you would remind us that this was a real event that happened in real time to real people. But God, that you would also remind us that this text points us to the last Passover that was revealed at the cross. And God, that we would trust in the Passover lamb that was slain on behalf of our sins. And like Israel, we would be spared from the death angel that would come for each and every one of us. God, make make less and less of me so you can make more and more of yourself this morning as I proclaim your word. Jesus, make yourself known, edify your church, bring many to faith this morning, and I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, now like I said, uh, point number one is the Passover proclaims God's justice. The Passover proclaims God's justice. Before we can really flesh out what I mean by the Passover proclaiming God's justice, before we can really put meat on those bones, we have to first build a contextual foundation of how we got to the Passover in the first place. And so, up to this point in the story of Exodus, we have seen nine specific plagues that have been uniquely designed by God to demonstrate first His authority over Egypt and their so-called gods, as well as remind His people Israel that He is the one true God and that He has promised to, re- to uh, redeem them and rescue them out of slavery under Egypt. And so these previous nine plagues that we've walked, walked through the past two weeks with Pastor Doug and Pastor Thomas um, explaining what those uh, plagues were, we've noticed that they've each grown in severity from the first to the last. And last week Thomas preached on how the last plague, the totality of darkness throughout all of, of Egypt was a, a picture and a type and shadow of what hell would be. And each of these nine plagues from the first to the ninth have each been a foreshadow of what was to come for the death at the tenth and final plague here in the Passover. And so as we unpack the story of the Passover, I want to point out why God's justice is actually a good thing. You know, Thomas said last week that it's, it's difficult to preach uh, on hell like he did because it, we, we often like to shudder and kind of close ourselves off from, from the difficult things of God. And I would even even say that this morning, talking about the justice of God is difficult to do. We like to champion God's love, but we, but we, we shy away from God's justice. And so this morning, I want to point our direction in the text as to why God's justice is a good and holy thing that His people should sit in reverence under, while also showing us how this unique characteristic of God goes hand in hand with His love. So look with me at chapter 11, verse 4. In chapter 11, verse 4, right out of the gate, God says, About midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, to the firstborn of the slave girl who's behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. And so right out of the gate, we're, we're confronted with this seemingly difficult text. You know, right out of the gate, we can, we can hear a text like this, and our minds may, 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 may be prone to wander, could God really do such a thing? Is God actually just in carrying out this death sentence against Egypt's firstborn children? And the short answer is, yes, God is just in doing so. And the foundation or the basis for this justice is found all the way back in Exodus chapter 4 verses 22 and 23 where God instructs Moses to tell Pharaoh, quote, Then you, Moses, shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Pharaoh, let my firstborn son go that he may serve me. And if you, Pharaoh, refuse to let him go, then behold, I will kill your firstborn son. God very plainly, very explicitly, very clearly told Pharaoh that the Passover would in fact happen. God was not hiding his cards when the Passover came to fruition. God told Pharaoh all the way back in Exodus 4 that this would happen, but Pharaoh chose not to listen. God even used nine plagues, each growing in severity, to foreshadow the death that was to come and to remind Pharaoh to let his people go. And yet Pharaoh dug his heels in, hardened his heart out of pride and out of greed, and didn't let Israel go. And so God did exactly what he told Pharaoh he would do. Friends, understand that God did not one day just randomly decide to kill all of Egypt's children know that God does not act in randomness. There is nothing random about the sovereignty of God. God didn't just wake up one day and think, I don't really have anything to do today, so I think I'm just going to go kill Egypt's firstborn children. God told Pharaoh exactly what he would do at the Passover. And the Lord portrayed his holy justice through the death of Egypt's firstborn because he said he would. And if we know anything about the Lord, we know that He keeps His promises, which include His threats. And that is why we must not read a text like the Passover and think to ourselves, would God really do such a thing? Could God actually kill the firstborn children of Egypt? Because the answer will ten times out of ten unequivocally be, yes, He will, because He explicitly said He would. It takes me back to a time when I was 16 was sixteen. And um, I got my I got my first car. My parents bought me my first car and it was this old Jeep Wrangler that we got lifted and we got these like big mud tires put on it. And uh, like any 16 year old kid from Tennessee wants to do, you want to take the doors off and you want to take it off roading so you can impress your friends on the trails. But when my parents gave me the keys to my first car, they very explicitly told me, don't take it off road. Don't take the doors off of it. You can do anything else with it. Well, they are will even pay for your gas for it. Just don't take it off-road and don't take uh, the doors off of it. And if you do, we'll take your keys. And so being the naive 16-year-old that I was, I took, it, took the doors off of it and got my buddies, and we piled in and we took it off-roading. And what did my parents do? They found out and they took my keys. And, I, and at the time, I got angry. And I was like, how dare they take my keys? And I got mad and I got frustrated. But looking back on it, they told me what not to do. I did it. And they told me what they would do if I disobeyed them. And they followed through with their promise. We do the same thing today. We're so quick to read texts like the Passover and we put God on trial and we shake our fists at Him and we say, would God really do such a thing? When in reality, we are the ones who disobey. This is why it's incredibly important to understand that our disobedience of what God tells us to do in His holy word is, in fact, sin. We must not play with the promises of God, and we must not play with our disobedience and our sin, because our, our sin against a holy God, through our disobedience of the things that He instructs us to do from His word, it's not a cute little puppy. Your sin is not something that you get to play around with and hide from everyone else. It is a lion that seeks to devour and destroy and kill you any opportunity it can. That's why the famous Puritan John Owen once wrote, Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. The promise of God's justice is all throughout the Holy Scriptures. Pharaoh did not take heed of the Lord's justice that was to come, For the firstborn children of Israel. And the result was their death. But we must understand this morning too that God's justice was not only for Egypt. God's justice would have also come for any unfaithful Israelite who did not follow the instructions the Lord gave to Moses and Aaron. Had any Israelite gone out from their home that was covered by the blood of the Passover lamb, they too would have faced the wrath of the Paso- or the, the death angel at Passover. Look with me at, at chapter 12, verse 22. In it, Moses instructs Israel, saying, quote, "...none of you shall go out of the door of the house until the morning." And in that, Moses implies that had they done so, they too... Would have faced the kiss of the death angel that night because they were disobedient and were not covered by the blood of the sacrificial lamb. Understand this morning that the Lord's justice is thorough, it's total, it's complete. It was not simply reserved for Pharaoh, although Pharaoh was the one who disobeyed. God's justice was not reserved for the downcast of society with the slave and with the cattle. The Lord's justice would come for all that were not covered by the blood of the Passover lamb. The same is true for us today, friends. The Lord's justice will come for each and every one of us. The death angel is no stranger to any man unless they be covered by the Passover lamb's blood. The justice of God will cross socioeconomic lines. The justice of God will cross racial and gender lines. It will cross neighborhoods and streets. It will cross people groups all throughout the entirety of the world. The justice of God is complete. And the exact same justice that was displayed at the Passover will be on display on the last day as each and every one of us stand before the judgment seat of our holy God. And if we, like Egypt, at the night of Passover, stand before the judgment seat of God, not covered by the blood of the Passover lamb, then we too will face the the embrace. It's like embrace is a light word to talk about the death angel. But we too will face the sting of the death angel at the judgment seat of God, completely and utterly separated from Him in hell, tormented for the rest of eternity. The one true God displays His authority by carrying out His perfect and righteous justice on the guilty. But the question we then must ask ourselves is this. Aren't we all guilty? Don't we all stand guilty before a holy God? Did the Apostle Paul not say in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? If that's the case, then what? What? that leads us to our second point. The Passover proves God's love. The Passover proves God's love. Notice the divine balance of God's perfect and righteous and holy justice married to the beauty of God's love for his chosen people. Look with me at chapter 12 verses 12 and 13. The Lord says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Notice amidst the sweeping judgment that was to come that night against the the promise of threat that God would destroy the firstborn children of Egypt, the Lord simultaneously provided a way for Israel to be spared from His justice. Notice that the, the amazing and beautiful thing about the Passover was that not only did God execute justice and judgment against the people who were opposed to Him and were enemies of His chosen people. But it was He Himself who also provided the means necessary for atonement. And I think uh, it's, it's due for us to pause for a moment and, and flesh out this idea of atonement. Because, one, we're going to use the word uh, throughout the rest of this sermon. And also... The idea of atonement has profound theological implications, not only for the Passover, but for the entirety of Scripture. So I simply can't assume that we all are on the same page about what atonement means. So atonement, in its most basic, watered-down, simplest form, means to cover or to cleanse. So atonement means to cover or to cleanse. And what this means, then, is that the Lord Himself provided the means of covering or provided the means of cleansing or atonement for his own people, even though they themselves were deserving of the same wrath that would befall Egypt that night. That's a, that should be, that's a glorious idea because guess what? Israel and Egypt are not the main characters of the story. So too are we not the main characters of this story. The Passover is not a story about how, or about how Israel was faithful and about how Egypt was unfaithful. The Passover is a story of God's justice and God's love met at, at, at a cosmic wedding here to, to proclaim His authority over the world. Notice in the passage that Israel themselves did not come up with a scheme of their own to satisfy the wrath of God. They didn't accumulate enough wealth or scratch the right back to gain power or to gain influence. The atoning work of the Lord was not based on their merit or what they had or had not done, but instead the means of atonement was given solely based on the Lord's grace and mercy. Understand that Israel did nothing to warrant God providing atonement. It was God Himself who gave instructions on how He would redeem and save His people. Israel simple, simply listened and obeyed. And again, this is profound because this is all the Lord's doing. There's not an ounce of of Israel or Egypt being the main characters in this story. The Lord Himself even says this was all His doing. In chapter 12, verse 11, He says, it is the Lord's Passover. It was the Lord who would be carrying out justice, and it was the Lord who would be providing atonement for His people. And the same is true for us today. Understand that as, as we sit here today, and we think back on our lives, know that the Lord doesn't look down from heaven and say, they've done a lot of good works today. I think I'm going to save them. God doesn't just say, well, you know what, this person, they gave money to a homeless person yesterday. Like, let's sprinkle some grace on them. God does not look at our works and deem us worthy of atonement. And let's just let's 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 pause there for a minute and talk about that because if God really was a God who showed merit based on our works and, and, and provided atonement, provided a salvation based on our works, that would be a, a puny God that I would never want to worship. Amen. Amen. A works-based salvation cannot and will not ever save anyone. Because the the, the bottom line of that salvation is we make ourselves God because we determine what is good and what is worthy of salvation. When in reality, when we look at stories like the Passover, when we look at really the entire narrative of the Bible, we see that salvation and atoning work and justice are all the Lord's doing. We have no part to play in it. A works-based salvation is not how the economy of God works. Just as the Lord was the one carrying out justice on Egypt, and just as the Lord was the one saving Israel, so too today does He carry out justice on those who are opposed to Him and save those who are His. But it's important that we understand this morning that though God was the one who provided atonement... Provided salvation for his people, Israel. We have to understand that it was not like the Lord did not turn a blind eye away from Israel's sins. The Lord did not exempt or or count Israel as exempt because of their sin. Had he done so, had the Lord turned a blind eye to Israel's sin and not punished it, he would cease to be perfectly and wholly just. Israel's sin was not excused. Instead, God's justice that was reserved for Israel was carried out on something else rather than being carried out on Israel. This is why God said that the blood would be a sign for the Israelites in chapter 12 verse 13. The blood was to be a sign for the death angel that had Israel been faithful and, and slain the Passover lamb and taken the blood and covered the doorpost, then the death angel would have approached their door, the death angel would have saw the blood as a sign of God, and he would have passed over them. And his services would not have been needed in that house because atonement or the cleansing had already been made. Friends, the blood was an incredible sign for the Israelites at the first Passover, but the blood is an even greater sign for us today. The blood is a better sign for us today because the blood of the perfect Passover lamb has been slain in place for our sins. In 1 Corinthians Corinthians 5, verse 7, the Apostle Paul says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, He has been sacrificed. And like the Passover lamb in Exodus 12, the sins of those who are in Christ have been laid on Him so that atonement has been made for His people, rescuing them from the justice that they are worthy of receiving. Friends, I, I know that there are many of you here this morning who are hurting. Some of you have been deeply, deeply sinned against. And it pained you to wake up and, and to come into church this morning and to be with God's people. Some of you have sinned against the Lord and are experiencing dire consequences that will change the rest of your life forever. But regardless of which, you are, I know this morning that the sins of those who are in Christ Have been laid on Christ. Please do not turn from the Lord's grace and from the Lord's mercy this morning. If you are in Christ, know that Christ has made atonement for your sin. To run away from His grace and to run away from His mercy is to negate the atoning work on the cross, it's to tell Him that His work on the cross is not enough. And that you are telling Him that you can bear the weight of your sin on your own. And friends, know this morning, you cannot do that. And if I can be honest with you, you were not made to do that. We are a family here. If you are a part of this church, we are a family. And know this morning that you don't have to run from the grace and from the mercy of God this morning. You don't have to turn and, 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 and flee out of what you think may be shame or flee for what you think may be, you know, maybe the church won't accept me back in or maybe I've just sinned so deeply that the Lord won't accept me. Friends, we're a family here and the family of this church, the blood of the, or the family of this church, uh, the blood of the family of this church, sorry, is thicker than the blood of relatives because the blood of this church family runs rich with the blood of Christ. There is no shame found in your fellow brothers and sisters here at this church. No matter how grave you may think your sin may be, I sin, you sin, we all have sinned against a holy and just God, and we all have been sinned against against the holy and just God. But the totality of justice necessary to pay for and to atone for that sin has been laid on Christ at the cross. And so know this morning that though we sin against the Holy God, His love for His people and the power of the atonement seen at the cross will cover even the darkest and deepest sins you may think you have committed. Christ, our Passover Lamb, who was slain to make atonement for sin, should bring us to our knees in worship. He should shake us to our core at the great love that He has for His people on the cross. And therefore, this morning, church, rest in that promise. Know that you don't have to run from the church. You don't have to run from the grace and the mercy of the Lord because your sin has been paid for. Amen. And this leads us to the third and final point this morning the Passover points us to the cross. So, so far, we've seen the Passover proclaiming God's justice. We've seen the Passover proving God's love for His people. And now we are going to look at how the Passover shines like a lighthouse, a beacon of light to the cross. We simply can't preach through the Passover and not observe the parallels that are made between the first Passover and the last Passover at the cross. So it's important that we understand, I mentioned this in the prayer, it's important that we understand that The first Passover that is observed here in Exodus 12 was a real event. It was a real event that happened to real people at a real point in time. And this real event had real implications for the people of Israel. But the Passover, though it had profound implications for Israel here in Exodus 12, it was always meant to be a type and shadow of the truer and better last Passover observed at the cross. And there are numerous ways that the first Passover in Exodus 12 points us to the last Passover at the cross, but I simply want to take a few minutes to look at two examples in particular that have the the deepest implications for us today. The first of those is that Christ is our truer and better Passover lamb. Christ is our better and truer Passover lamb. Look back at chapter 12, verse 5. Moses tells Israel that their sacrificial lamb must be without blemish. Israel couldn't just bring any old old lamb to the altar to be sacrificed. It had to be one whose coat had no blemishes, which denoted purity. Purity. Doug read 1 Peter 1, chapter, or 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19 during worship, but I think it's important that we read it again to understand how the blood of Christ was to be like a better and truer Passover lamb's blood. In 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, Peter says, You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Christ. Catch this like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The Passover lamb in Exodus 12 had to be without spot or without blemish to be a a, a worthy sacrifice to atone for sins. In the same vein, Christ, our Passover lamb, had to be without sin so that He may be a worthy and acceptable sacrifice to make atonement for His people. Passover lamb was not only to be without blemish, it was also to be slain by the entire congregation of Israel. It was the Lord who instituted the means for atonement to make a distinction between Egypt and between Israel. And when the time came, the congregation of Israel got together, they took their Passover lamb, and they killed it at the appropriate time. And that same Israel that on the first Passover killed their Passover lamb would also be the same Israel that at the trial of Jesus would choose the murderer Barabbas over the lamb without blemish. Thus killing him at the appointed time. So the lamb was without blemish. The lamb had to be slain by the entire congregation of Israel. In Exodus twelve six. Moses instructs, or instructs Israel to kill the lamb at twilight, or the appropriate time, which, according to the Hebrew timeline, was roughly 3 p.m. In Matthew 27 46, Matthew tells us that at the ninth hour, also roughly 3 p.m., Jesus breathed his last breath, thus being the sacrifice that would end all sacrifices for his people. And most importantly, Christ is our better and truer Passover lamb because, like the blood of the lamb that was on the Israelites' doorposts, the blood of our Passover lamb shed at the cross perfectly and completely atones for the totality of the sin debt that we owe to a holy God. And there are, it was funny because as I was studying through the Passover narrative, uh, it's, it's mind blowing to see in how many different ways that Christ is our truer and better Passover lamb. Like There are many more examples that I could use we don't have time for, but the point is this. The Passover was not a random event that God felt like he needed to institute to, uh, to demonstrate his authority. Just like the other nine plagues that were a foreshadow of what was to come at Passover, so too was the Passover a foreshadow of what was to come at the cross. So Christ is our better and truer Passover lamb, but Christ is also our better and truer Passover feast. We won't read the entire chunk of text, but if you look back at Exodus 12, verses 8 through 10, you'll see Moses instructing Israel on how they were to partake or to eat of the Passover lamb. And the eating of the slain lamb was to be a sign, was to be symbolic to Israel of the old covenant that God had led his people out of slavery in Egypt. And for us today who are in Christ, we are no longer under the old covenant for Christ fulfilled the old covenant at the cross. But instead we are under a new covenant that he ushered in after his resurrection. And because of the ushering in of this new covenant, we now today partake of a new uh, Passover feast, a truer and better Passover feast. That is to be a sign of the new covenant. In Matthew 26, 26 26-28, Jesus and His disciples are having their last meal at what is commonly referred to now as uh, the Last Supper. And this Last Supper happened the night before Christ was to be crucified on the cross. And at this supper, Jesus gave the command to keep the new Passover meal that pointed to a new covenant in Christ. In Matthew 26, Jesus says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread... And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said to them, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so today we are going to observe the Lord's Supper Because today as we read through the Passover and we read through uh, how Christ was our Passover lamb and how Christ institutes a new and better Passover feast, we partake of the Lord's Supper to remind us of that. And so as Moses instructed Israel to eat the entirety of the slain lamb, so too today do we symbolically eat of the entire slain lamb of God through the representation of His body and His blood at the table. So I'm going to go ahead and ask the worship team to come back up. And I want to close with this. As we respond to the Word of God this morning, I would encourage you to come to the table if, and I need you to hear, I need you to hear this, if and only if you are a follower of Jesus. The Lord's Supper is meant to to portray, to be a sign of the new covenant. Therefore, those not a part of the new covenant should not take of the elements at the table. Instead, we would encourage you to take Christ. Receive Christ today and receive forgiveness and atonement for your sins. But as if you are in Christ today and you are under the umbrella of the new covenant, then I would encourage you to come to the table to take the elements of of the, the blood and the body of Christ and partake in the better and the truer Passover feast, because today we worship a better and truer Passover lamb. And as you partake of the elements, praise the Lord for His perfect and righteous and holy justice, while also praising Him for His perfect and holy and righteous love that they are able to coexist in harmony for the edification of His people and His church and the glory of Himself. Let's pray.